So if you will, go ahead and open up your, your Bible, or whether it's on your phone or iPad, or if you have a hard copy, um, to Colossians, the book of Colossians. And of course, we're going to be in chapter 3. And then when you guys get there, we're going to um, go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help, um, as Justin always does. And so we're going to keep that because it's important to know that, you know, when we come here, we're relying on God to show up and to help us in every way, in every shape, in every form. Um, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you um, in Christ's name, and we ask for your help, that you would fill me as your preacher to preach your word, that you would help us as your body um, to trust Christ, to be corrected, to run from sin, to rest in him as we wait, await his return. So help us during these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, the, the title of the message is, of course, Christ is all. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to consider some ways in our union with Christ that Christ is all that we have and he is all that we need. And so I'm not sure how much you're aware of uh, the book of Colossians. And so I just want to make our way um, one chapter at a time just to kind of catch us up how in the world we got to chapter three so that we don't do bad things with these parts of, of Scripture as we're just jumping into the middle towards the end of the book. And so Paul, um, thinking about the, the church of Colossae, it's made up of Jews, it's made up of Gentiles, and there is pressure on the saints of Colossae to turn from the truth or at least intermingle other things of the world or Jewish uh, legalism or this pagan mysticism to inquire or to intermingle these things in with the truth of the gospel. And um, so Epaphras, who started this church, is going back to Paul and is like, hey, man, this is what's going on. Like, you know, encourage the saints, please. And so Paul opens up the letter, of course, with thanksgiving. And he says, man, since the time we heard of your faith in Christ and your love for one another, we have not ceased to pray for you. We pray that you'd be filled with knowledge and that you would, you would bear fruit in every way. And then he kind of crescendos chapter one into this beautiful hymn about the preeminence of Christ Jesus. Because apparently, like um, side note, when we're looking at Paul's epistles, it's important maybe analogy that when we're looking at these, it's almost like one side of a phone call. So if you're ever in the car, in the car with somebody and they're on the phone and you're listening to what they're saying and you're kind of figuring out what is that other person saying based upon what you're hearing. And so we can uh, do that as we look at Paul's letters and know that whatever this heresy or this false teaching is, apparently it's undermining the sufficiency and the preeminence of Christ Jesus. And so Paul makes it abundantly clear about that God that Jesus is God, who he is and what he did. And he does that several times in this letter. And so we, we move to chapter two. Paul's talking about his own sufferings for the sake of the gospel and how he's glad to do this um, and how he has love for, for not only the saints at Colossae, but other churches in the, in, that surround that area. And then um, we get a little deeper into chapter two where he says, now, just as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deeds, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And if you want to look in chapter two with me, starting at verse nine, Paul 
then follows that up. Like, don't be taken captive by this empty philosophy and these things from the world. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity uh, dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And he just goes on to say how you were made, you were dead and you were made alive with Christ. And so he uses this language of being buried with Christ and being raised with Christ. And also we can see why in the world would Paul use circumcision um, to a church if it was only made up of Gentiles? Well, that's really, it's really no use to the Gentile um, social status. They, the circumcision isn't a thing. So we can you know, infer that there, there are Jewish legalists or Jewish mystics, like uh, mystics that are influencing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he comes at them from the angle of we've been circumcised by Christ. And then he comes at the angle of the fact that we have been made alive and we have been filled in him. We have been made complete in Christ. So he's kind of hitting the Gentile and the Jew um, sphere in, in those areas. And so now, right before we get to our text, let's look at what Paul is talking about. And this is in verses 16 um, through 23. So he says, because of this, because you have been made alive with Christ, do not let anyone pass judgment on you in question of food, sorry, in food of, or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These things refer to the ceremonial laws. So he's like, don't let anyone pass judgment on why you're not doing this or doing that or doing this. For these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going into detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, and it grows with a growth that comes from God. So right off the bat, we're seeing Paul says, look, guys, don't get caught up in what these Jewish legalists are telling you that you must follow the ceremonial laws. For all of those things have found their yes and their amen in Christ Jesus. He is the substance and he is the fulfillment of all those things. And so we're now resting in him. But also don't get caught up in these, this, this mysticism where people are saying that we got to go not through Christ, but through angels and that they will help us, you know, have favor with, with not only God, but with all the other gods and, and all this stuff. And then he says in verse 20, now if with Christ you died, here's that language again of, of being, of dying with Christ and raising in newness of life. And so he says again, so church, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and, and human teachings. Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in the indulgence of the flesh. So you got these guys saying, man, if we really, if we don't eat this and don't do this, if we make sure that we really just treat our bodies badly and just kind of starve it of, of all these desires, we can get rid of these bad desires and we can have favor with God or 
or whoever else that they're saying need, we need to have favor from. And, but Paul says, now, if with Christ you have died, why are you acting as if you're alive to these things? As if Christ, who he is and what he did is not enough. And so let's head, head on to, to, our, to our passage this morning with this in mind, that what Paul keeps bouncing or keeps refuting this false teaching with is our union with Christ, is that we have died with him and we have also raised to new life with him. And so Paul, in chapter three, where we are today, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so right off, we see Paul coming in chapter three, coming off of the fact that you've died to the world. You're no longer alive to these things. You no longer need to look to the world for some kind of satisfaction or to try to please God by the law or any other thing. And you have died to those things and you have actually raised with Christ. It's the same language as Galatians 2 when he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So as we arrive at our text and we're looking at verses three through four, and he starts off with, if you have been raised with Christ. Why is that such a big deal, though, that we've been raised with Christ? We know that in Adam as our representative head, that we received condemnation, we received death. We have lost our communion with God. We've lost our peace with God because through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and then condemnation to all men, death to all men because we all have sinned. And that as our representative, we have lost all peace and all comfort in God being our creator and our father. We're completely guilty before God. We've confessed our sin today. We're people who have not loved him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, and with all of our strengths. We're, we're people who have not loved our neighbor as ourselves with a perfect love and a perfect obedience to his law and what he requires. We are none of those things. But then Christ shows up in human flesh. The same way that we're in human flesh and we have never kept the law. He kept every one of them perfectly. He fulfilled all righteousness and he did it for you and for me. And he died a sinner's death. He was a perfect person and he died a sinner's death and he did that for us. And he literally bodily resurrected and he ascended into heaven and he is right now seated next to God at the right hand of God, in a position of power, in a position of authority, in a position of he has finished the task. He has accomplished redemption for you and I. And so the big thing about union with Christ and why it's so central to Christianity is because without Christ, without being trusting him, without having faith in who he is and what he did, there are no forgiveness of sins. There is no righteousness that we have 
that we need to go before God. We don't have hope for eternity with God. We actually get judgment forever from God. We will have the judgment of God poured out on us because we've deserved it, if not united to Christ by faith. Because it's in him that we have the forgiveness of sins. It's in him that we have righteousness that we need to go to God and be confident that he is our father and that he loves us and that he cherishes us and that he will take care of us and that we will be with him forever. So there's the importance of why is why Paul is saying if you've died with Christ and you have raised with him, there's this union with Christ aspect. But then in verse two, he exhorts them. So if that has happened, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things of the earth. This language that Paul is using um, is, is kind of to say, I'm going to jump on the train that these false teachers are saying. They say that you need to have these visions to get to these certain spheres, to have this prominence. It's similar to this Gnosticism where you have to have this special knowledge and, and all of this stuff that just sounds really great. And Paul says, okay, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. These guys say that they have the key that will get you to above. Well, we know that we've actually died in Christ to anything that you try to please God with. We've raised with him. And so therefore, we're going to seek the things above where he is seated. What does it mean that we're going to seek the things that are above where he is seated at the right hand of God? Well, what does it mean that he is seated at the right hand of God? We've considered it already. That he has resurrected bodily. He has resurrected bodily. He is really there beside the Father. And he is in control. And he is um, the author and the finisher of our faith, as Ron said today. So he's there. And it says... For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ, verse 3. Our life is hidden with Christ. Well, where is Christ? He is resurrected in heaven. There is our hope that our life is hidden with Christ, who is not only resurrected, but he's perfect. And he is just waiting for his return to set up his kingdom. And our life is hidden with him. Our life is hidden with Christ. And thinking about the fact that we have spiritually died with Christ and we've raised with him and actually our life is hidden with him. Sure, there's this aspect where we don't really get to see our, our perfect body, this perfect life, this sanctified life where we are exactly like Christ. We don't often get to see that. Sometimes we see glimpses in each other when we see these good works and we see what God is doing through us. We get to see some of that, but ultimately our hope is that our life is with Christ. Right. And that is one of faith that it's not one of sight. Our life is with Christ. And then he says in verse four, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so the first way that we see just out of these verses that Christ is all we have and he is all we need in our union with him is the fact that our life is hidden with Christ and the hope of our resurrection is certain because that is where he is seated and our life is hidden with him. So what does it mean out of these verses that Christ is our all? It means that he, it means that our resurrection is certain and that we constantly keep our mind on things above, 
We keep our mind on things of eternal matters, of the eternal reality, as we fight against flesh and blood, as we fight against sin, as we seek to love each other, and as we work in a fallen world, we keep our minds on the things that are above where Christ is seated. And we know, man, my life is hidden with him. My life is hidden with him. And when he appears, my life, the one that he has completely glorified, when Christ appears, our life, we will appear with him in a resurrected body, in a glorious body. And as he sits resurrected, ascended in heaven, so it is sure that we will appear with him. So we keep that in mind as we move forward. As he comes through and he talks about these, this false teaching and he comes through and says, set your minds on things that are above. Your life is hidden with Christ. And then he moves on to verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so consider this list of sins in verse five. In the Greek, when you look at put to death, therefore, these words kind of render themselves this way. Consider the members of your body dead to elicit sexual intercourse, to impure motives, wicked passions that just come out of our heart, ungodly lusts, and these greedy desires to just have more and more and more, which all of that is a rejection of God and it is a worship of whatever greedy desires come up in us. Whatever greedy desires come up in us, we just, he's saying, this is what, in Adam, this was our old humanity. In Adam, this is the way we walked. This is what we lived in. This is what we did. This is who we were. But in Christ, the old nature is dead. You have literally died to those things and you are not alive to them. So consider as you, as we, think about where our life is hidden with Christ, that we are new. We have been justified. We have been sanctified. We have been glorified. And yet we've been justified. We are being sanctified and we will be glorified. It's an already but not yet reality. And so as we live in that, we know that in Christ, our old nature is really dead already, but not yet. And so we consider this dead, deathly flesh that we still live in, dead to the things that we used to do, dead to the passions that we used to just never have control of. Whatever greedy passion or sexual drive or, or covet, covetousness that arrived in us, we pursued it and we loved it and we did that. And if we're honest, sometimes we still do that. Sometimes we still give into those things because Although we are new in Christ, we're still in these bodies of death. As we talk about often in this Romans 7 reality, 
where we want to consider the members of our body dead to these things because we know, as God has told us, they only arrive at death. They will only leave us to death. They will only starve us of life. So as, as we consider those things, you know, we still do them. It, it's important for us to remember this. It is for sinners that God crushed his son. What does that mean? It means that God hates sinners and he loves justice and our only hope is Christ. It means that sin is abominable for God crushed his son because of it. So run from it. And we remember as we run that we are still in a body of death. We're still in a fallen world. Sin is inevitable. And yet the old has passed and the new has come. And this is our reality, church. And so even as we look to this second list of sins. Sorry, I'm finding my place here. Anger. Wrath. Malice. These things are like this vicious agitation of the soul that causes you to want to punish somebody for what they've done to you. This wickedness that is just not ashamed to break the law or injure someone. And the slander he talks about, this backstabbing and destroying someone's reputation. Maybe just for just for no reason or maybe for selfish gain. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And here it is, church. When that happens, we will take the wrath of God or we will be in Christ. We will be safe. Those sins have been dealt with. If you sit here today and you read that list and you're still like, Man, I know I don't want to do these things. I fight against these things, but there are times where I find myself giving in to these things. There are times where I find myself at work slandering a coworker or slandering a family member or slandering your spouse that's right in front of you. Or just something doesn't go your way and man, you're already just angry at your wife or your your husband and you just man, wish you could punish them for the way they've made you feel. We still struggle against these things because we're still in this body of death but as we struggle against those and we consider the members of our body dead to those things and we remember where our life is hidden and what will happen when he appears we will be perfect we will be like him we fight against these things and we remember that christ jesus is our only hope leading us to the second way out of these verses that we find that christ is our all in our union with him is that we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. This sin has no power to condemn you anymore because of Christ. Look to him. This sin has no power to say that you have no choice but to give in to me. In Christ, that is not true. You have been given, you have been made complete in him. You've been given new life. And so fight against it. And my gosh, when we do offend someone, when we do give into those sins, apologize, repent, do better. This is what we're doing. We're, we're being kind to our neighbor. We're trusting Christ and we fight against sin. It's an ongoing battle. And this is kind of our reality. And we remember that, man, our life is hidden with Christ. And so we keep our mind there as we press forward through this journey in the fallen world, in a fallen body, knowing that we 
have died to these things and we are raised to new life and our hope is sure. And then moving on to, to verse 9 and 10, where it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. We don't practice these things anymore. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You know, sometimes when I, I fight against maybe the theology I grew up with, and you read these things and you're, you're kind of devastated when you read these things because you're like, man, I'm not what I need to be. You're absolutely right. You're not. But in Christ, who has circumcised you with a circumcision that's made without hands, God has made you alive together with Christ. The old self is gone like a pair of raggedy blue jeans that got holes all over them. They're gone. Put them away. We got some new slacks on. We have a new life. We have a new life in Christ. This is the reality. It has really happened. So he's like, remember, you've put off the old self. It's gone. And you have put on the new self. And here is just a beautiful thing. And it is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There's a reason that Paul prays at the beginning of almost every letter. And he says, no, we've been praying for you guys. And we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? So that you may bear much fruit and walk in a manner that's worthy of this call. Well, how is that to happen? That's a reason that Paul is praying that we would grow in knowledge, that God would grow us in the knowledge and the revelation of his son so that we would continue to press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and that we would grow and become more like Christ. He is doing it. God is growing us in knowledge as we as we show up to church, as we sit under these ordinary means. Why do we do that? Because we want God to give us Christ. We need to be remembered that he is our only hope. And we need to grow in the knowledge and the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is wisdom. He is wisdom manifested bodily. Similar to, to the talk in Philippians 2, where he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is causing you to both will and to work out his good pleasure. And then always encouraging verses, Hebrews 10, 14, that those, he has justified for all time those who are being perfected, those who are being sanctified. As we're being perfected, as we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of Christ, we rest in him. We rest in him. Because oftentimes, as we've already noted, that our life is hidden with Christ. We don't get to see the full manifestation of what God is doing in us. It's, it's, a, it's a life of faith. What he's doing in us is, yes, it's really happening. Yes, there's real victory in sin. Yes, there's real transformation. And yet the full product is hid with Christ, if you will. And when he arrives, we will be with him and be like him. I just love that point. It's just so assuring that it's so certain that this is going to happen. When he comes, we'll be like him. Our life is hidden with him. And so as we've considered these things, simple question as we move along here and finish up with verse 11. What are you doing for God now that he has fulfilled all his requirements of you in Christ Jesus and he gave them to you as a gift? What are you doing? 
Well, I'll tell you what we're doing. We're going to seek to love God and we're going to seek to love our neighbors. Because we know that we are righteous in Christ and that is never going to change. We are righteous before God because of Christ alone. And now we are running this race from our adoption as God's own children. And not only that, but our obedience is granted and brought about by God himself. What he requires of us, he will cause. As someone before me has said. And so we rest in Christ. And we enjoy the fact that God is our father. And as we struggle with this sin, there's no safer place for you and I to go than to him. And we remember that he has placed his spirit in us. And we trust God to grow us as we hold fast to Christ. If you remember back when we were in chapter two, looking at what Paul said about these people who were trying to get the Colossians away from, from Christ, basically being the one who completed everything. He says, these people don't hold fast to the head from where the whole body is knit and nourished together with a growth that comes from God. Any teaching that gets us away from Christ is a false teaching period. Any teaching that points our hope and our surety and our righteousness, our sanctification, our glorification away from Jesus Christ is a false teaching because Paul tells us that as we cling to the head, God will grow us as his body, which is comforting. I had a friend this week. I'm obviously studying this. I haven't preached in a while, so it's been fun to like study the word this way. And I was showing him some stuff about Theocast. And of course, he's like, yeah, I'm with all the rest in Christ stuff, but we still got a mandate to share the gospel, bro. Matthew 28 says it. And I'm like, yes, you're right. And so I responded to him this way, which went right along with this. Resting in Christ doesn't mean you don't do good works or love your neighbor. Resting in Christ is a way to describe that Christ is the sinner's only hope for righteousness, forgiveness, and peace with God. He is our rest. Furthermore, our growth in the Christian life doesn't come from us. We are grown into one mature body by God himself as we cling to Christ by faith and we consider this body dead to sin. That means we're resting in him for all of our assurance of salvation and peace before God. And it is from this reality that Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. That we kill sin. That we're running this race with endurance. And we know that there is no sin that we kill or run from that isn't a sin that hasn't been forgiven in Christ Jesus. And we love our neighbors as the church are the hands and feet of Christ on earth until he comes back. So as we go through this life, it is our neighbors who need our good works, not God. In fact, we are promised that we will do good works because he's actually prepared them for us to walk in beforehand. And yes, we share the gospel and we become slaves and servants of righteousness. But we do all of this knowing that nothing we do adds or takes away from our right standing before God in Christ. And nothing we do means anything apart from faith and nothing we do will bring real fruit unless it comes from God. And these objectives of the gospel, these objective truths of the gospel are alleviating because they produce trust in the reality that in Christ we strive towards the upward call of God, not for the Father's affection, but because it's already ours. 
So finally, the third way that we see that Christ is our all and our union with him is that God will grow us in the knowledge of his son in order that we bear much fruit. He's going to grow us to know and love Christ more and more so that we walk in a manner that's worthy and that's pleasing to him. And so we keep trusting God to do that. So finishing up with verse 11 here. Here in the body of Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter where you are going. It doesn't matter how bad your past has been. No matter the, the choices that you made this morning, it doesn't matter about any of that it doesn't matter if you're the owner of the business or if you're cleaning the toilets of the business. It doesn't matter if you live in the woods or you live in the mansions. None of that matters because here in the body of Christ, we come together and we are equal. We're brought to the same level because we're all in need of a righteousness that none of us have and that only Christ provides. And in that, he is our all, church, sinner, saint. He is our all. He is all of our righteousness. He's all of our sanctification. He's all of our justification. He's our hope for a resurrection. In him, we're dead to sin and we're alive to walk in the newness of life. And we know that we will become like him because God has promised to do it. And so together, let's consider the bodies. Let's not make the members of our bodies one of a sinner, one of a, a prostitute, if you will, one of an idolater. Let's trust Christ together. And remember that Christ is in Christ all we have is all that we need. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you use the preaching of your word to grow your saints. We're thankful that as we open this book and we, we look at it, we see its truths, we see the words in it that you, um, you use the the weak things to shame the strong. You use the foolish things to shame the wise. And you use Christ crucified to save sinners. So, Father, we praise you for that. And as we go to the table and we, we know our only hope is Christ for us. So we come to you and we ask you to grow us in knowledge in Christ Jesus. God, help us to consider the members of our body dead to sin. Remember that we're hidden in Christ, and when he appears, we're going to appear with him in glory. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen.